The battle of wizards and warriors continues with iron swords. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willett. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience, I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Hi everybody, how you doing? Thanks for coming back to the show and welcome to 2020. Uh, I wanted to just jump right into the year for podcasts. I didn't want to take too much of a break. I really just took a week off so I could go and do some holiday stuff and uh, catch up on some busier days at the shop. And the first person I wanted to uh, put up was Alicia Lowe. Uh, Alicia is a Canadian piercer. I've known her for a handful of years. I met Alicia because she applied for one of the APP uh, scholarships a few years ago, and I was one of the people who was uh, helping out with scholarships at the time, and she was very impressive. She got a scholarship. She really shined. She made a a significant impact, Uh, and I've kind of run into Alicia at different points in different places. So, One of those times was me up in Hamilton, Canada, when I was teaching a class there. She lives with uh, Bador Ramji, and that's where I was staying, so we had some good conversations then. One time she came down to my shop, and she shadowed for the day. We had some good conversations then, and it just uh, worked out being the busiest day of 2018 for me. It was the Saturday after Christmas. She got to see a really busy, really diverse day. Uh, so that was a, a really fun experience for shadowing. And she's always just been really nice, really helpful, uh, really sweet. She's dating a piercer in New England, so every now and then she's coming through the area and we try to get together and, and chat. And uh, for this conversation, we got to record it face-to-face uh, rather than over Skype or anything or you know out on the road or something like that. Uh, I was in Worcester, Massachusetts, which is where uh, she was with her partner, and I was seeing a wrestling show on New Year's Eve. I stayed over in a hotel, and then the next day, we met up for uh, some coffee and we chatted a little bit. There is a little bit of, of uh, busy cafe noise in the background, so please forgive that. But we have a really good conversation. We talk a little bit about uh, jewelry wait times coming down. We talk a lot about shadowing, um, what it's like being a nervous piercer. How do you how do you start? How do you actually reach out to someone and say, "Hey, I I, I want to watch you pierce and maybe ask you some questions." How do you do that? You know, we we talk about it a little bit. Uh, we talk about Where's the line of giving maybe too much information? You know, do you kind of feel out the person shadowing for for their experience level and and cater the experience to that? Do you just have them watch? Uh, Where's that line of, well, now I'm teaching my competition sort of thing. So we talk a lot about that. Uh, It's a pretty long conversation. It goes pretty in-depth, but I, I really enjoy it. So I hope you enjoy it too. If, uh, if you are one of those piercers out there who's a little bit nervous and thinking about applying for a scholarship, uh, Alicia is a great example of someone who applied, got, her, got a scholarship, and really made the most of the opportunity. And I really want to remind everybody that the scholarship season is right now. So if you're interested in going to the Association of Professional Piercers Conference in Las Vegas, it's going to be in July during 2020, the application process is open right now. So take a minute. Pause this podcast, go to safepiercing.org, follow the link to conference information and then scholarship information. Read up on that application process. Don't wait until a day before the deadline and throw something together. Give the application a read, understand what you're going to need to have prepared. Some of that's going to be reference material from other piercers. Some of it's going to be making a video, answering a few questions. 
Some of it's going to be kind of talking about where you are in, in the industry and in your personal life right now. So really be prepared for that. Uh, I would say about a third of the people who apply actually end up getting scholarships. We don't get huge, you know, hundreds and hundreds of applications. We, we're really only getting a couple dozen applications. Uh, and we have typically between 8 and 12 spots available. So you have a very good chance of getting one. If you prepare a good application and you are genuinely someone who needs that extra little helping hand to get to conference, you have a great shot. But you got to take it seriously because we take it really seriously too. So go to safepiercing.org, follow the information for conference, follow the information for applying for a scholarship, and get your scholarships in. Uh, I, I want to get everybody there. So I would really like to, uh, to see those thoughtfully crafted applications just like Alicia had. And she made it there and she really shined. Uh, one last thing before we get into the interview, I've got some classes available as this posts. It's going to be kind of down to the wire from my Phoenix, Arizona class. I do have some spots open for that one. Uh, it's it's kind of a smaller class. It's going to be really hands-on. It's less about theory and it's more about actual technique. So I'm going to be doing live piercing. Uh, if, if there are any brave models, I might show how to recover a, a blown transfer, you know, run the needle through, take the needle out without putting the jewelry in, and then recover that hole with a tape rather than having to push the needle through again or just shove the jewelry through. Like, how can you recover a blown transfer uh, safely and with uh, the, the minimal amount of stress, trauma, discomfort to a client? Those are definite skills that I want to talk about in classes because I think they're kind of lacking for a lot of piercers. In certain generations, they don't really get a lot of experience of like, how do I handle this when something goes wrong? Because so many piercers try to pretend like they're perfect and nothing ever goes wrong. So I'm going to be talking about that. I'm going to be talking about uh, basically all the different things that were theory-based in my last series of seminars in understanding and applying freehand piercing techniques. It was a lot of theory. It was a lot of video. It was a lot of piercing bananas and foam and things like that. This is going to be advanced application of bevel theory, and I'm really going to be showing you this is how you do it. I'm going to do it in uh, typically piercing studios. I'm going to do it with typically smaller groups, and uh, I'm going to I'm going to pierce people. I'm going to pierce some of the models. I will still be doing the the workshop elements of it where people will be piercing inanimate objects to kind of build skills and build muscle memory, but we're really going to be talking a lot more about applying those theories rather than just conceptualizing those theories. So I'd love to see you. Uh, I'm going to be in Phoenix, Arizona for Monday, January 20th. If you did want to sign up for that, I do still have spots available. Go ahead and email me at ryanpba at gmail.com and I'll get you all that info. My next class after that is going to be Concord, California on Monday, February 24th. That's going to be at Blue Star Piercing. Uh, that's in the Bay Area, so if you're anywhere near Oakland, San Francisco, anywhere in that area, I'd love to have you. Again, this is going to be a smaller class, so it is going to be limited in space size. There will be a point where I have to, to cut off registration. I'd say I'm a little bit more than halfway there at this point, so if you do want to get your registration in, go ahead and uh, get that into me. Again, you can email me at ryanpba at gmail.com. If you want more general info, you can go to precisionbodyarts.com slash seminars, or you can follow Body Art Education by Ryan Willett on Facebook. I have event pages for all the different classes I'm doing. After February, uh, I've got a handful of uh, mixed classes kind of up in the air right now. So within the next few weeks, before the end of uh, January for sure, I'll have some more information for you on the episode, maybe even next week or the week after that. But I've got some ideas for a class in Essen, Germany. 
I've got a class for Manchester, UK. I've got a class idea for New Jersey. Uh, I've been having a good amount of people asking me to go to maybe the Indiana area or the Carolinas. Um, it, it seems like I get messages, people asking about classes like a month after I just did a class there. And like, I've had people message me about classes in Florida and Atlanta, and that's where I just was. So it's going to be a little while before I can get back there, but I'd love to see you at these new spots. I'm going to keep moving along. And I think uh, my, my big goals would be some more classes in Canada. I know I've definitely talked to some people doing classes in uh, Montreal, and I really want to get out to the West Coast of Canada also. And I think my, my big goal is Australia. When things have settled down there a little bit, uh, I definitely want to get out to Australia and maybe do uh, a few different classes, um, Sydney, maybe Melbourne, uh, and uh, talk about piercing uh, down under. So I think that should be pretty fun. So for now, let's go ahead and get into this interview with Canadian piercer Alicia Lowe, and I'm going to be back a bit more at the end. Um, my name is Alicia and I work at Cottage 13. Uh, that is located in Hamilton, Ontario in Canada. And my uh, Instagram is AliciaLow1. So we're face to face on <laughs> New Year's Day, which is cool because um, I did like a year end episode that I literally just threw together. Um, I had like this little short interview that I did at BMXNet and I didn't really have anything else to like recap. And then as soon as I recorded it, I thought of all these things. I was like, oh, I should have talked about this and I should have talked about this. And one thing I wanted to talk about but forgot to talk about, and maybe you can give me your opinion on it too, is if you think of where we were at as an industry for things like jewelry wait times on January 1st versus December 31st of the mm -hmm. same year, like at the beginning of the year, I was stuck in a situation where I was waiting four months or five months for a jewelry order or something. And now most of the companies are down to like month, month and a half, something like that. Are you seeing the same kind of jewelry turnaround times with Canada or is it still an obstacle of importing it? I would say in some respects, yes, it is the same wait period. In others, I would definitely say things get held up at the border, especially if um, one of the companies forgets to include a new NAFTA agreement or mm -hmm. anything like that, then we can end up with a very, very long wait period. Yeah. What's like a, what's typical? You know, let's say you order from any U.S. company, the jewelry is done in six weeks and ships and then it, when it hits Canada, like what's the average turnaround time for customs houses? Um, I would say that usually by the time that we get the shipping notice to let us know that it is on route, usually it's probably... No more than three business days on average, if okay. we're lucky. So it's not terrible. No, not usually. Yeah. Not usually. Well, that's good. Um, so I, I was really worried coming into 2020 with the show because with the year-end show in, in 2019, uh, I, I made it like two weeks ago or something, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to take a little bit of time off for the holidays and then get back into it at the beginning of January, and I had zero ideas of... Who I, who I was going to talk to. I, I always have this mental like running list of these are all the people that I want to talk to eventually if mm -hmm. we're in the same place or if our schedules line up to do it over Skype or something like that. And I've wanted to interview you for a while and uh, I, it didn't occur to me that I was going to be in the same city where you are. So that just kind of worked out because you're here visiting Stray. And uh, how, often do you, how often do you come here? Um, Not necessarily here, but like the U.S. Like a handful of times a year? 
oh, probably close to at least a half a dozen or more times now. Um, last year, I would definitely say I was a lot busier coming to the States. Um, but once he got his passport, it made things a lot easier. Well, I was at a wrestling show last night in Worcester, which is where Stray lives and where you are when you're when you're visiting. So I thought it would be a good idea to just kind of like link up and chat. But I had no idea of what I wanted to talk to you about. So I was talking to Lola Slider online, and I asked her for ideas because she's got better ideas than I do. And she gave me a list of little things as just kind of like conversation starters, basically. So I don't know the the best way to jump into it because we just went out for tacos and I, I feel like we had a really good podcast that we didn't record and where it felt like really natural and now I feel like awkward and <laughs> because I can't think of how to start the conversation so just to jump into it we were talking about shadowing and the different generations of body piercers where someone like me when I started it was like uh I know what I want to do, but I don't know how to do it, and I don't know who to learn it from. Mm -hmm. And now I think a lot of piercers have so much more access that they can not only be picky about what they want to learn and when they want to learn it, but who they can learn it from. Yes. And they, like, especially if you're in a shop where you have maybe a more experienced piercer, and maybe they're inside that APP bubble or that, like, you know, piercer click kind of culture or whatever. They can open a lot of doors for you and send you here, send you there. And you were kind of talking about how it's almost disposable in a way where people are just, they're going places to just go places and it's not even necessarily about a, a learning thing. Was that the kind of idea that you were going for or was I misinterpreted? Kind of to an extent, yeah. I feel like at times because some people are already starting off with a really good strong foot, sometimes they're not necessarily absorbing the information the same way that say you or I would where we were going through that process of self-learning you know like we may absorb information a little bit differently because we've sought it for so long mm -hmm. that um, how you were saying with uh, several different piercers of the same headspace when they kind of link up together they seem to connect and fill in the blanks for one another right right well yeah, kind of the point that I was trying to make is that I don't want to knock somebody for having a good opportunity. In no, never. Thing. Absolutely never. But I think that some of the piercers that start out in really good shops with really strong mentors, people that are good teachers and not just good piercers, mm -hmm. um, they can go from zero to proficient to experienced in a relatively short amount of time. Absolutely. You know, people can be two years into a career now and they're piercing all kinds of advanced stuff and they're dealing with all kinds of really fancy high-end jewelry and they're, they're doing all these high-level things. And they got to skip over a lot of those years of struggle and intuition mm -hmm. and trial and error and all that stuff. And I feel like piercers who got into the game even five years ago, but you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever, they had to really come from a place of intuition where they had to they had to figure out a lot more mm -hmm. and there are a lot of things that people independently uh, figured out like in unison so you would get people coming to conference where they'd be like oh yeah I figured out this and somebody'd be like oh yeah I figured that out too and th this is this mm -hmm. is my little tweak on it my you know so people are taking the puzzle pieces that they put together 
and they're just kind of showing how they put it together. And people can put together the same puzzle in a different way, and I think yeah. now a lot of piercers, they get the puzzle kind of handed to them, and maybe that lack of problem solving, you know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't build some of the tools that I think makes a strong body piercer. Mm -hmm. they, can, they can do a good job if everything's going perfect, you know, if they have every single perfect thing that they need and the jewelry and all that stuff, but if they go out on a guest spot or if they go out to a new shop or if they decide to go off on their own or, or if things don't work out and they, they leave, they might not have as many skills as they might think they have because they never had to struggle through that intuitive they stay with They stay within their comfort zone the entire time, more yeah. or less? Yeah, yeah. Um, there was another, what was the idea that Lola sent me? Uh, what was it? It was a really good line. Oh, nannyism in the, in the studio. Like, I don't usually use that word very often, but the concept of, like, you're free to do whatever we tell you to do. And I, I, when I, when she, when she gave me that idea, I immediately thought of Evan, the piercer in my my store. Um, I like to think that I give him wiggle room to kind of develop his own style, but I, I have given him very tight parameters. You know, like if you're gonna install gold jewelry, don't be using tools on it. Like you can't do that. So like if you're not ready to install jewelry without the tools, like don't install that jewelry and stuff like that. And I, I wonder if me being overprotective has held him back or if other piercers feel that way where a, a mentor is being overprotective to the point or just kind of saying just do it this exact way don't ask why mm -hmm. I, mean, I don't know if that makes somebody better or worse I feel like it can make them it can limit things to an extent mm -hmm. but I think it's also up to the the mentee to ask right why are you limiting me? Mm -hmm. Why do you want it done in this way? Mm -hmm. What would happen if I did it in this way instead? Right. I think that all apprenticeships should really be a give and take. Mm -hmm. And if it's only give on one side, I feel both really suffer. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when you have like, you know, a mentor-mentee relationship, both should really be growing together in many different ways. Yeah. I've always talked to, um, different people that teach who've always said they've learned just as much from the people that they're teaching as they they're teaching those people right that can be a really good side of the shadowing culture right absolutely. now absolutely because you can almost send out your ambassador they can go out and they can see what other shops are doing and they can bring back information too and say hey this mm -hmm. you you know this is the way that they were sorting their display case or this is the way they were handling their POS or this is what they were doing with their aftercare speech and I've I've gotten a lot of my like what works for me mm -hmm. has all been kind of pick and choose from what I've seen work for some of the best shops out there because yeah. I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of access and I can take all of everybody else's best ideas and just roll that into my own shop so I guess that can be good mm -hmm. in a way um, were you saying anything about Kind of seeing a negative side to the way people are shadowing now where it's almost like they're just kind of collecting shadow points in a way to an extent but having said that i'm also not present when they are shadowing i'm not present in their home studios so i guess it's more so outward appearances it seems like it's the ability to say that you've shadow with someone but not necessarily seeing those skills applied mm -hmm. but again 
you know, I'm not flying the wall as they're working to really say 100% yes or no to the, yeah. you know, the Pokemon thought process of catching them all, right? Yeah. So, but yes, I would definitely say at times outward appearances are that. Mm -hmm. Like I've shot with a lot of people myself, but I don't talk about it a great deal, you know? Instead I go out, I do it, and then I take the information back to my studio and I apply it instead. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's just one a, thought process. A really satisfying thing for me is when I, it, I'll get some random message from someone on Facebook who, who had come to shadow at one point, you know, six months down the road or a year down the road, and if they say, oh, you know, this one, this one little thing I saw you do was helpful, you know, the way you did this or the way you did that, I do that now, and mm -hmm. I think it works for me. Like, that's really great. But also at the same time, they can come in and they can say, you know, after after the client is gone and we're talking about what just happened, if they say like, oh, you know, that's cool, I didn't think to do it this way, we do it this way. And I think to myself like, oh, that's a good idea. I want to try that. So it's kind of like a give and take when it comes to shadowing. Oh, absolutely. Uh, what are your thoughts on how to handle the answer of no coming up in a shadowing scenario because that's another another suggestion from Lola was is it appropriate to give everyone unlimited access or is it appropriate like if someone local if someone if the piercer down the street from you wanted to come in and shadow is it like a case-by-case -case scenario is it appropriate to say I feel like that's a conflict of interest for me to train someone that might be competition or is it something where well this person needs this information and where else do they get it so what kind of thought process would go into your mind in a scenario like that one personal comfort mm -hmm. like actually trying to strike up a, maybe a bit more of a rapport to be comfortable with that person coming in yeah. but also making sure that they're in a situation where they can actually apply that information mm -hmm. a conversation will definitely be very insightful to if it's something that's going to be beneficial for both parties um, whereas if that person's in a situation where they can't fully apply the things that you'd be teaching them um, instead maybe talk to them and find different ways to provide healthy support mm -hmm. until they are in a situation where you're either comfortable giving the information they're in a situation where they can apply it, things like that. So not necessarily fully closing the door because I think that's really cold. But I can also understand the concern about conflict of interest being in the same city. Um, I think that more than anything, dialogue is key. Like we've previously discussed being more comfortable with people coming in from out of town and things like that as well. But some people may not be comfortable being shadowed at all, or maybe they've met that person previously in passing and weren't necessarily comfortable with them, even if they aren't in the same city. So I think all shadowing is more case by case. Yeah. I haven't had to say no to anyone yet. Mm -hmm. um, there have been some people where I've been like, ah, I really don't want to have that person hanging around my shop for a whole day. You know, there have been times where it's been kind of a a clash of personality sort of a thing and sometimes piercers can be can have a very big presence and yes. if if that's not the way that you want your workflow your vibe to be you know if you want everything to be calm and sometimes it can be tough 
having having that mentality of like, yeah, you know, I want to be able to share information with everybody. So I, I think one thing I would probably do, you know, if it was a shop, if it was the shop down the street, because I hear people like the Chicago area is a really prime example where there are so many piercers that are so relatively close to each other, but are very friendly, are very open access. You know, you come to my shop, I'll come to your shop. I'll send you clients, you send me clients, that kind of a thing. And I think a lot of piercers uh, don't have that, and it sounds really alien to them. Like in my area, I wouldn't really say it's adversarial, but it's not open. It's not a community in any way. Like mm-hmm. the, the any of the shops within 20 minutes of me, I'm not hanging out with them, and they're not hanging out with me. And it's not like a bitter kind of a thing, but we're not friends. I don't. I probably don't even know their names. They probably don't even know my name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if one of them reached out and was like, hey, I want to come into your shop and I want to learn the things you do because I want to do them 15 minutes away, I don't know that I would feel comfortable shadowing. I would probably say, let's chat a little bit through email or whatever. If you have questions, ask me questions and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll give you whatever information I'm comfortable with. Uh, I think what I would probably do is say, I don't really feel comfortable with, with the conflict of interest, but these are people within an hour or so, maybe link up with them, maybe go to this shop, maybe go to that shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think it would be beneficial if people in the industry kind of thought that way of like, you shouldn't try to have stuff handed to you, you know? So if you're thinking the shop down the street that I compete with, I want to learn from them and then compete with them harder, maybe that's inappropriate. But to say like, I'll drive, I'll put in a little bit of effort to drive half an hour away or an hour away and I'll go talk to another piercer or something like that. It also still keeps them in that comfort zone because it's home. Mm, yeah. Even if it's just, com- if it is still competition, it is still in their hometown. Mm. I think it's important to move beyond your city so that you get the full experience. I find that you're a lot more receptive to learn as well mm-hmm. when, they're, when you take away a certain level of comfort. Like that first time going to conference, like you're just eager and, and wanting to absorb absolutely everything, yeah. interact with everybody. Whereas if it's someone that's just down the street, you may or may not be as as receptive as, as what you want or should be to it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, getting the different perspectives because sometimes you can have those little pockets. Like, um, like when I went to San Francisco, a lot of the shops, I mean, they, they were different and they had their own personalities, but it was all like a San Francisco piercing shop vibe, you know? And it's like, well, how much different is, is it going to be if you're just going from, if you're just going across the Bay Bridge? Like, it's going to be still fairly similar, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it could be the same thing. Like, if you're if you're a college town and it's like, it's a bunch of college shops uh, mm-hmm. catering to the same kind of clientele, a lot of them might be so similar and it's like, well is the information you're going to be getting even different than the information you already have. Mm-hmm. So maybe moving around can be a good idea. I just think it's it's weird because I never came from a generation where shadowing was a thing. Like, it, it didn't exist. Like, if I had a question, there was no one to ask. There, there was no other shop. Or if there was another shop, they were just as lost as I was. And they were like, well, I don't, I don't know. When you find out, tell me, you know? Um, so you, you really had to... You had to look far away you had to 
books and resources or go to conferences and things like that. It, it wasn't as something as simple as like, you know, oh, I'll call the shop five miles away and see if mm -hmm. I can go into their shop and learn the things that they know. So it's, it's probably a generational thing for me. What was it, what was it like when you, were, when you were coming in? Like, you know, you said you've shadowed from a lot of people. How did you, how did you open those doors? Well, I've only started really shadowing in the past few years. Um, one of those people was with uh, Jesse Vilmer, and I knew Jesse through progressive mentorship. And, you know, we got a nice friendly rapport going on, and one day I just kind of click send. And it was actually right around the time that I had received the LD scholarship. So I got the scholarship, I, I hit send, Put my phone down and then he said yes and then the next opportunity was immediately after conference i think it was one to two weeks after um, i gone to conference that i reached out to rob hill mm -hmm. same thing i typed out a super quick message hit send put my phone in the other room and then watch tv for a few minutes to relax yeah. kind of pretending that <laughs> that I didn't pull the trigger just because I was nervous about a response. And he said yes. So I've been Have really you fortunate. Have you talked to Rob at conference or anything? Yeah, I, I did chat with him at conference and uh, he was definitely one of the most warm people I think I met my first year. Mm -hmm. Like he just has this non-judgmental way of looking at you and and treating you like an equal mm -hmm. and that's where I got that that level of comfort up to be able to reach out um, but yeah so far I've been really lucky and I've been doing a fair amount of traveling again outside of my cities um, and people have been saying yes I'm sure eventually someone will will say no I do expect that at some point maybe I mean I, I think it I think if it's someone that you have any sort of base level rapport with, mm -hmm. I, I don't really see why they would say no, unless it was a situation where they maybe thought, not to say you, but a person was just not ready for the information. Like if someone was three weeks into an apprenticeship, if they had just, you know, if they had just come in as um, a counter staff person and they weren't even like maybe a jewelry specialist or a sterilization technician first you know if they just if they just got into it and then they were like I want to come and watch you pierce I might say like well you can watch me pierce but what are you gonna get from it because you don't you don't really know the foundation yet so you can come in but let's let's just talk about the foundation stuff of it let's not talk about techniques and talk about mm -hmm. this and talk about that and, I've skewed that when people have come in for shadowing. I usually I'll, I'll talk with them a little bit at the beginning of the day and I'll say like, you know, where are you at? What kind of questions do you have going into the day? You know, what are the top three things that you'd be interested in finding out more about while you're here? Mm -hmm. And then I'll kind of tailor the experience to that. Like I'll still do the same, everything that I would do for the client. But after, maybe I'll skew the conversation about questions or information a certain way or if there's downtime maybe it's like let's spend a couple minutes in the sterilization room or let's spend a couple of minutes doing you know practical drills I'll show you a needle through some foam or something like that mm -hmm. try different stuff um, I wish I would have had that when I was coming into it like I, I same absolutely it would have saved me years of fumbling um, to just be able to ask people how do you do that? Why do you do that? Mm -hmm. 
never really had that access. And it, it honestly, I'm almost jealous. I'm almost jealous of people that get to that get into piercing now, in a good mm -hmm. way, in a bad way, with the information that's out there. Like I like the fact that I had to fumble my way through some stuff, but I think I probably did it for longer than I needed to. But that's all the all of the growing pains associated with such a young industry, though, right? Mm -hmm. Is each each group uh, struggles and fumbles just a little bit more than the next generation. Mm -hmm. So basically, because you or I had to do those things, the next generation didn't have to, yeah. and there's less margin for error for the client. And I think in the end, that's the most important part too, mm -hmm. is that client's experience. Yeah. So I do understand both sides, and you'll notice I do try and bounce back and forth between both, mm -hmm. because I don't think everything is very black and white. I always like to try and look through the grays so that there's a nice healthy balance, mm. right? I, I kind of feel like it's a it's a natural organic growth in piercing rumble. Um, <laughs> to kind of start off a little bit helpless and a little mm -hmm. bit clueless. Um, yeah. If you're if you're trying to use something like a one to ten scale, you know, mm -hmm. and let's say one is um, I'm just jumping in. I've never been shown or trained or taught or whatever, but it's like I'm, I'm just doing it, which happens, you know, from time to time. Mm -hmm. uh, and 10 is like Jeff Saunders, Courtney Jane Maxwell, like people who are just a whiz with the stuff, you know, and have the best of the best of everything. Um, I think it's a natural part of your career where you should be fumbling around in that like two, three, four, five kind of level because that struggle and that trial and error can make you a lot stronger for the future. So I, I, agree. I think that some I of the agree. producers that get in with that like level 10 information, their customers probably have an excellent experience. You know, this uh, curated, you know, let me get you an espresso while we, while we discuss the world's finest gold and diamond jewelry sterilized in a statum, pierced with disposable implements, all that stuff like, Sure, I'm sure that's mm -hmm. great and very lovely, but I still like those grimy years where people are pushing because they're they're going to be very appreciative of when they get to ten. I agree. Through pushing through all those lower levels, you know, like if I had started with what I have now versus how I started, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know that I would appreciate it as much, and I don't know that I would be as versatile of a piercer or have, have as many skills or abilities as I, as I might have yep. because I had to develop them over time. Or as hungry for so long for uh, knowledge to better yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's almost like the generation of piercers that are kind of starting out now or within maybe the, like the last three years or something like that. It's cool for them to be in that learning space, which is really good in one sense but I think yeah. going back to like what you said about that like Pokemon mentality of they're going to a class or they're going to Shadow or they're going to this and they're going to that but are they really applying all those things or what are they doing when they get back to their, their shop like I've seen some, some piercers just trying out stuff that they saw online and it's like I know that you're not doing a better job the way you're doing it like with the whole disposable <laughs> conversation like I've seen mm -hmm. some piercers just like 
oh, I'm going to throw away my tapers and throw away my hemostats and, and all that stuff, but I'm going to try to do like a whole bunch of telescoping blanks when I could have just done this reprocessable threaded taper or something like that. And it's like they're pinching their clients or they're hurting their clients or all that stuff. And it's like, well, is that really better? Is that really better? Mm-hmm. Not to knock disposable because like Jeff Saunders will weep. Um, I don't, even know. I don't even know the point I'm trying to make. I think that everything in piercing is like simultaneously really good and really bad mm-hmm. at the same time. And I think it's just the individual piercer and how they apply it that like makes yes. it good or bad. Yes. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Gonna, well, I guess yeah. like another thing is if, if someone were to reach out to you, so you'd already kind of said that you would, if it were say someone local, you'd already said that you might redirect them in a kind of way but how would you actually do that without potentially hurting that person's feelings well it's kind of so that scenario has never come up for me but the scenario that has come up really often is some piercer anywhere in the world would reach out on Facebook Messenger and usually the conversation starts with like hey I listened to your podcast once or hey I like your Instagram posts or hey but I'm in this area and I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So I'll I'll look in that area and I'll be like, oh, okay, I know that I know this piercer. They're a half hour from you. I'll message that piercer and I'll be like, hey, would it be cool if I sent this piercer to come and talk to you or ask you some questions? And this is their name, this is their shop, uh, this is where they're at, and maybe kind of help them out with these things and do like a little like matchmaking. Oh, okay. I would probably do the same thing if it was local. If it was. What I like to say a lot when I talk to piercers because I think what I think every piercer understands is when you when you use the phrase like the other shop in town, you know, air quotes the other shop in town. And I don't mean like the one that you're good friends with that you'll hang out with or, you know, have a beer with after work or something like that, but like the one that you you groan whenever you hear their name or when you mm-hmm. like when you look at an angry piercing a client comes in for troubleshooting and you're like oh where'd you where'd you have that done and they're like oh i went to this place and you're like ugh, that place mm-hmm. every every shop every good shop is going to have the shop that frustrates them wherever you are in the world and uh, i think when it comes to that other shop if that piercer would contact me i don't know how i would handle it because number one i would want to just like slap some sense into them like not in a literal sense mm-hmm. but you know hey these are all the problems that I see coming out of your shop and what are you, what are you doing you know mm-hmm. but you don't want to have necessarily that conversation with that piercer because it would be hurtful and it would put them on the defensive and it's probably not going to be a productive conversation mm-hmm. so how would you handle if that piercer reached out to you and on one sense they're saying I would like to know more than I currently know. Mm-hmm. And I, I trust you to give me some of that information. In one sense, I can see that as like a very complimentary thing. And it's like, I, that's cool that people would understand their own limitations or understand that they, they maybe need to up their game. Mm-hmm. But the other, the other side of it is like, I've worked very hard for what I have and what I do in my shop and what I've learned and how I've applied it and all these things. And I don't necessarily want to hand that information. I think it's almost like it gets too personal. If it's a if it's a piercer that you know and you yeah. compete with on any sort of negative level, mm-hmm. it's so personal where you're like, oh, you know, it's not I'm sharing information with a piercer. It's that I'm sharing information with this piercer. And I don't mm-hmm. feel comfortable with that. 
Um, that's one of the reasons why I've never done seminars in New England. You know, I, I do the Boston Tattoo Convention like little classes, but I've never done yeah. one of my full day seminars because I haven't been able to answer the question, what if a piercer who I knew was doing dangerous work signed mm -hmm. up for my class mm -hmm. and then takes my class in my shop and has a certificate with my name on their wall in the shop where I think they're doing unsafe work? How do I reconcile that thought process? And I haven't been able to come up with an answer to that. So that's one of the reasons why I don't do classes around New England. And not to say that those piercers don't exist and don't take classes at conference or from anybody or shadow. But it doesn't hit home. It doesn't hit You're home. You're not potentially sharing the same clientele. Yeah. And they're not going to approach you and say, so so-and-so received training from you or there's, there's no correlation between the two of you. And I can definitely see the difference between going to another city and, and teaching and someone like that being in that classroom versus at home because it doesn't hit quite the same. Yeah, because, it, and I don't want to make it about the classes that I personally teach, you know, but... It's just, it's a good example. Yeah, the example is like, sometimes it's just, it's so personal where maybe you want to restrict access because you see someone else as like, well, no matter what information I give them, they're not going to be able to be safer because you can't look past the fact that they're they're trying to get more information. That means they're trying to improve themselves, mm -hmm. just like I improve myself, you improve yourself, piercers improve themselves. Yeah. Uh, I think it's commendable that a piercer would put themselves out there for shadowing or to take a, a seminar or whatever, you know, regardless of, of who's teaching it. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe... If you, if you are lucky enough to be approached by someone that you see as competition, mm -hmm. uh, rather than shooting them down, try to think like, well, I don't feel comfortable you coming into my shop. You don't have to necessarily phrase it that way, but I don't feel comfortable you coming into my shop, but I, I understand that you want to get more information. Let's try setting you up with this person. I'll mm -hmm. give them a call. I'll make an introduction. I'll, I'll do a thing or whatever, because I've gotten some people that have messaged me and they've said, I'm in this area, I want to learn more, but I just don't know who to talk to, and I mm -hmm. feel um, self-conscious about reaching out to the shop 20 minutes away, 30 minutes away, down the street, whatever. So sometimes I have to make those introductions, and I almost feel like it's, well, these two piercers live like relatively close together, and they've probably never even talked, maybe don't even know who each other are, and I can put those people together. But I don't want to create a situation where I'm sending the person that makes them uncomfortable into their shop. So it's it's like a weird little matchmaking kind of a thing. I don't know. It's just a, it's a weird time to be in the industry because information is so readily available. Mm -hmm. And like we were talking earlier, like being inside that APP bubble, that conference bubble or whatever, piercers that are already in that bubble have this privilege where they feel uh, like it's okay to just contact anyone, ask them, you know, if you can get over your own personal anxiety and you can reach mm -hmm. out, like when you reached out to Rob Hale, I'm sure you were super anxious typing out that message, but you probably, I'm going to guess, probably got like an immediate like, yeah, sure, awesome. Yep. You know, like it's not like it's like, a, well, I don't know, I got to think about it kind of a thing. Um, so it's amazing that people can get in that headspace where they can like put themselves out there for it but on the one
nonsense, I almost feel like it's it makes it too easy for people, and they're not necessarily uh, working for what they have. I don't know. That's probably like an old white man mentality of like kids these days are you know, <laughs> entitled millennials or or whatever. I don't know. Where do you see where do you see piercing education going in five years? You know, like do you see it as like more people are getting into the education space I know that when I started doing my seminars a lot of other people started doing seminars and now people are even doing like online Google Hangouts seminars and all that stuff mm -hmm. and do you feel like that's a good thing or a bad thing because it means that anybody can be the instructor now with or without credentials anybody can be the instructor and sometimes that means that people who have great information but just didn't have the exposure or the chance are getting to teach, but it might mean that people who are severely underqualified are also getting the chance to teach. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel in some ways it's almost kind of like hiring someone for your studio. You don't want to just take them at face value. You don't want to just look at their portfolio. You want to ask around. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to see them perform in some capacity before you say yes, before you commit with money and, and as well as support too, right? Because the more people saying, yes, this person is a good teacher, then of course that's gonna encourage even more people to take those classes, right? But at the same time, if someone doesn't, if someone doesn't start stepping up and teaching, because everybody is also getting older, right. not to draw attention to the fact that, again, we're all getting older. Yeah. Um, Are you saying that next... because of my gray hair? No. I'm going to die soon. <laughs> um, I'm just more so looking at, we already have some really strong teachers right now, mm -hmm. and it can be very hard and very intimidating for the next generation of teachers to come in. Sure. So without an opportunity to do so, mm -hmm. where, does, where does that leave us? Yeah. There could be potentially a gap in our education system as, as professional piercers. Mm -hmm. um, I think that more people should have an opportunity to teach at conference as well. Mm -hmm. But it's just a matter of also being able to bring, in some respects, bringing new things to the table, but there are also other classes that haven't been taught at conference for a few years that newer attendees, five years or less, still haven't experienced. So maybe bringing back some of those classes, yeah. maybe bringing back one of those teachers for said class, and then bring in a new person to teach alongside of them so that they gain that experience. And then it's almost, I don't want to use the term apprenticeship, but it's the closest to apprenticing as sure. you know we do for, like for our craft so so to give a little bit of information like behind the curtain information because mm -hmm. I've been in a lot of those conversations when I was on the board about choosing the classes choosing the instructors and there can be it's a multifaceted conversation because oh, absolutely. on one side of it you'll have the concept of these are tried and true instructors. We know that they can do an excellent job conveying yeah. information. We know that they can choose an excellent subject and articulate it well. But it gets repetitive because it's like, yes, we have really good instructors, but we have the same really good instructors every year. Mm -hmm. And for better or worse, you know, maybe that can make things a little stagnant. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's definitely this 
there's a lot of space between rungs on the APP ladder. Mm -hmm. uh, you can work your way up, mm -hmm. but sometimes it's a jump from one rung to the next. Yeah. And uh, I would say that on one side, the APP does a, a, a good job at establishing new people, but they're maybe not doing as good of a job establishing the, the future generation of instructors. Mm -hmm. Because most classes, there's a lot of pressure when it comes to conference. Oh, absolutely. Because you don't want to have a conference where a third of the classes were duds because people had never taught before. Mm -hmm. So if you pair all of those newer people or inexperienced people with more experienced people that have done classes over and over and over again, maybe you can get a good class out of it, but maybe it's not going to be as fresh and unique and whatever. But if you roll the dice on just putting a new person in a new role, you run the risk of like, well, that class sucked. You know, and it, it wasn't that they were giving bad information, but maybe they just didn't know how to convey it or articulate it mm -hmm. or prepare a presentation. So it's like this multifaceted thing. Mm -hmm. I remember when I... When I went from being a nervous, nobody, I don't know anybody, piercer mm -hmm. at conference to, okay, I'm getting a shot. It was definitely a push and a struggle and I definitely had this mentality of like, man, I've seen these people teach classes for 10 years and I don't like their classes anymore because it's the same class after 10 years. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going to guess that I might be in that category of like, well, Ryan's time has come and passed or, or whatever, you know, or mm -hmm. maybe I'm not going to get kicked out of the door right now. But there's going to be a point where people start saying like, you know, oh yeah, you know, I've taken his class three times and it's the same class. Um, so there probably is this new generation that's ready for their shot and that's mm -hmm. ready to step up and maybe they're not getting the chances that they need or whatever. And I, I wonder how you get that experience because like you can shadow for so many things but you don't really get to shadow for standing up at the front of the room and talking about things or like leading the discussion or something, you know? So maybe it's tough for people to make that jump into an instructor type space. I don't know. Well, there's also... Um I know there are classes on speaking engagements and things like that. I think they're called Toastmasters. Yeah, I think I think Daniel's done a good, good amount of public speaking type classes. Yeah. yeah. So there are opportunities like that. Um, but that could also be a fun thing as uh, an alternative to the Bar at Conference mm -hmm. is setting up many speaking things where people are given five to ten minutes to talk about something in front of like smaller groups to start and then using that to kind of slowly build up those those speaking skills like open access public forum prepare your own talk app five to ten minute yeah thing absolutely. just to get some experience absolutely that's a good idea and then absolutely. having one or two of the instructors in that room taking mm -hmm. notes who can actually give you Critique. some absolutely and yeah. then from there potentially spot the next one or two instructors mm -hmm. and then approach them afterwards and say hey you know here's an opportunity. Yeah. That's, That's a really good idea, actually. Because right now, the way the system goes, again, being in those rooms, if it's new people, it's never like, I've seen this person talk, they're really good, or I've, I've, I've watched them do their aftercare speeches or a sales approach with a client. It's never that. It's always just like, oh, I like this piercer and they're a good piercer. Let's give them a shot and see if it works. Mm -hmm. And I've seen the the after effects of that year after year after year and I would say every year at conference you know if you have X amount of new people in a new role a third of them are going to do 
a good job to the point where the next year you'd be like, okay, let's give them their bigger opportunity. Absolutely. But most of the time it's going to be like, well, they didn't really do much or say much. They didn't really like do a lot on the preparation or they didn't really drive the conversation very much. So it's like, yeah, they were a good piercer, but maybe they're not meant for a speaker type role. Mm. But how do you, how do you know? you know, who it is without giving them the chance. Because, I, I again, I, I don't think people have a lot of venues to build those skills. But also, if they had, again, a speaking mentor. I don't, sure. I don't really have a title for that. Sure. Where even prior to conference, they can run through their talk mm -hmm. and get some pointers on how to keep the, the crowd engaged. You want to know what's funny? You want to know who has that role for the APP now and has for a couple of years? Who? Me. No one has ever taken me up on it. Not one person. Because, like, I, I did a, a TED Talk, you know, years ago on yeah. scarification. So when the Talk APPs thing, the Talk APP things started, they made me, like, um, speaker support staff or whatever. Okay. Like, because I had to, it took me, like, three months to prepare this 10-minute talk, you know? And there are all these steps and processes and blah, 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 blah. So I, I was made to be a resource, like, hey, if you're a new instructor, especially someone new to the Talk APP thing, which is where a lot of, like, first-time speakers get their shot, talk to Ryan, run your thing by him if you have any questions about how to form your narrative or your presentation or whatever. Not one person has ever taken me up on it. And there's really nobody else reviewing presentations except for the AV team. But they're primarily reviewing it to make sure that the PowerPoint works and that pictures aren't missing. Mm -hmm. It's not so much content. I know that Becky Dill has really revamped uh, curriculum and submissions and things like that. Mm -hmm. But I think it's it's almost like in a micromanaged back end kind of thing. It's like a, we've already chosen you as the instructor. We've already chosen your subject for the class and whatever. Put your whole thing together, and then we're going to review it just to make sure that it's a, like a well-prepared class. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's necessarily like building up the instructor. I think it's just making sure that the information is prepared well. So mm -hmm. I've seen some people who are really amazing at putting together a PowerPoint presentation but really bad at delivering a PowerPoint presentation. Mm -hmm. So it's... Uh, it's weird. It's almost like an apprenticeship without someone ever showing you how to pierce. Like they're they're just sitting down and explaining how to pierce. Mm -hmm. But they're never actually like, watch me run a needle through somebody or let me watch you run a needle through somebody. It's just like, yep, yeah, just go for it. You know, and mm -hmm. I'm 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 gonna stand here and watch and I'll give you notes at the end. It's almost like that. Where there's there's really no um there's not a lot of instruction or support or building up the new instructors. It's really like, we'll give you a shot and if you don't do terrible, we'll give you another shot. Which can also work as well, almost a trial by fire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, trial by fire. Some people can get like, you know, solidified and some people can just burst into flames. And mm -hmm. uh, I've, I've seen the burst into flames a couple of times with classes and it's not, it's not great. Um, at BMXNet, it's, it's way more, in, in Germany, it's way more, anybody can teach whatever they want. You just ask, basically. Uh, you have to you have to give a good pitch and you have to be able to at least explain your idea to be able to get the shot but I've seen lots of people teach classes there and it's like I know what you were trying to say but the way you said it you said it did not do any favors to your concept like I don't think people get it you know mm -hmm. like I I sort of understand what you're saying but like I don't really get it um, and with 
APP in Vegas, it's so tightly controlled that I don't even think people get that kind of a chance, really. The way that you have to do the submissions and you have to jump through so many different tiers and so many different committees choosing things that by the end of it, it's very um, pasteurized. It's like, it's very... Uh, some of the good ideas and some of the good instructors and some of the new things get kind of strained out in favor of like, we know that this is a surefire thing. We know that this person can nail it, but it's the same person that nailed it last year and the year before that and the year before that and the year before that. So there's really not a lot of fresh blood that comes in year to year. I can also understand the need though, because with people paying to attend conference and paying for this education, right. you have they to want... Deliver. Yeah, they want to make sure that the value is there. Yep. So I definitely understand that side, mm -hmm. but also the need to see a lot more new faces with just different information. I'm not going to say fresh, just different information. Sure. I, I'm trying to get in a space now where every year I pull somebody in to mm -hmm. the to the Ryan. Jesse refers to it as the Ryan Show, and you've been in my classes and you know exactly what that means. Uh, but like as an example, in the Safe Practices workshop. Last year, I pulled in Baron and Lola, mm -hmm. and they're gonna help me again this year. And sometimes it's difficult for me to just like stand there and not talk, you know? Uh, but it's great to see other people deliver. We're kind of delivering the same information, but they're delivering their take on it, you mm -hmm. know? It's like, this is how I work safe in this piercing room. This is how I work safe in this piercing room. Like, we're all talking about working safe, but we just have our own kind of like feel for it, you know? Mm -hmm. Baron and Lola are a much more disposable mentality, a much more reprocessing mentality. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of us are talking about prepackaged and some of us are talking about statums and this and that and whatever. And it's good to get that different information because there were years where I would just teach it by myself. And it's like, I'm gonna say the exact same thing that I said last year because I know that it all worked. I'm not really going to take the chance and change because, like, my information and my my concept of safe piercing hasn't changed. Maybe there have been a few updates, but they're they're small. Mm -hmm. uh, so being able to bring in somebody else and be like, "Oh, I never would have thought to explain that thing in that way," was great because now the client, uh, not the client, the attendee, mm -hmm. gets uh, all this information that I maybe wasn't delivering or delivering it in that way. Mm -hmm. Which kind of wraps around to like piercing. Because there's always going to be more than one correct way to do something. Oh, absolutely. So, like, when you go out there in Shadow, and that Pokemon collector card kind of thing, maybe sometimes piercers are struggling because they haven't seen the right way for them yet. Mm -hmm. They've seen a couple of right ways, and they can do it, and they can do a proficient job with it, but sometimes they have to get out there, and they see that one different opinion or something, and that's when it really clicks for them, and then that's when they can step up to that next tier, because, like, they've unlocked this mentality or this method that they hadn't seen or thought of before and that's that's the game changer for mm -hmm. I've had that happen to myself in a couple of different times just like talking with someone and and having this light bulb moment where I never would have expected it and be like I never thought of it that way that totally changes it for me thanks yeah uh, can be really good well and I find that also being prepared to shadow can make a huge difference too mm -hmm. like I am horrible because I will just show up I don't ever really have many questions prepared or anything because I kind of want to go in with no expectations and just see the day-to-day. -day. I want to see the interactions. I want to see how you do a navel or, you know, a helix or, you know, like I don't really necessarily, I don't necessarily want or need a curated experience, but others that do, um, I think 
important to be able to better have conversations, writing down, like say if you're struggling with forward helixes, write down your process mm -hmm. so that you can also have that conversation with the person that you're shadowing. How do you do this? This is how I do this. Can you see ways to tweak this? So yeah. being able to relay the information back and forth is going to be so much easier if you're forthcoming with, with how you're doing things instead of just watching, not necessarily fully absorbing because you haven't really connected and then going back to your studio. I think it's important to be able to say, hey, I'm struggling with this. You know, I'm doing this, this, and this. I've also tried this. And that way the two of you can kind of find like a, I suppose a resolve to try and maybe help correct a technique or otherwise for you. Mm. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to make it too much of a pre-canned experience with shadowing, you know? So people will come no. in and I'll have those conversations at the beginning of the day like, hey, what are you into? But if they're just if they're just there to shadow, just a completely natural experience, like I like that. I, I don't think that shadowing should be about um, making a show out of it. I think mm -hmm. just like you said, it's best to show them just your average day to day. Oh, absolutely. Because that's when you when you really start to click. And that's when you when you pick up those little tiny things. Those are the game changers, you know. So mm -hmm. it's like, oh, that's how you manage your your retail pricing. Oh, that's that's a great idea. Oh, this is the way you do your workflow between paperwork and piercing and aftercare and all that. Just those little things mm -hmm. that you might not see if somebody was trying to make like a show out of the day, mm -hmm. you know, or like I am going to show you all these things instead of just cool. like just watch me do stuff. Well, that's what I was saying, like pick just one or two piercings that maybe you're weaker at. So not, you know, sitting down and creating almost like an itinerary of your expectations, just simply being like, hey, I'm weak in one spot. You know, and then you can use that information to just generally build off of. But I also, like you said, I really enjoy just having the natural experience of walking in, say hi, have a brief little chat at the start of the day, and then taking a step back and just kind of being a fly on that wall as that person works. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really like the best way to think of the definition of shadowing is it's like, you're just yeah. there to watch. Absolutely. Ask whatever questions after the fact, but you're just there to watch. Mm -hmm. um, I have an awful memory. Like I remember vaguely the day that you were in my shop, but I don't really remember. Like, was it a, a busy diverse day or was it a dead day? Because I've had... It was, it was a very busy day. I think it was the Saturday immediately after Christmas. Okay. Last year? Yes. Or the year before? Last year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So last year, I remember that day being a heavy day. It was. And um, so this year, the, the first Christ, the first Saturday after Christmas, I was like, this is going to be a heavy day. The last two years, it's been like our busiest day of the year. Yeah. So I had Evan come in. and So it was me and Evan and Rob, which is... Not, not a typical thing. Usually it's one piercer, one counter person at my yeah. shop, but I had two piercers on and I was like, oh, we're going to kill it. And it was like dead. Not not dead. I mean, it was like, we did an okay amount business-wise, but it wasn't like the volume last year of, that's at fair. all. So I guess you I guess you lucked out basically on the day that you were there. Because I, I think it was a pretty diverse day too, where it was like a, lots of different styles of piercing, not Absolutely. just like a day of nostrils and helix piercings. No, it was definitely all over the map that day. Um... Yeah, I had somebody come in and shadow semi-recently, like within the last month, and uh, like not much of anything going on. I think they came in on a Friday, and I think I only had two or three clients the whole time they were there, and I just felt so bad. I felt like self-conscious in a way where, because when people come in to shadow, I'll try to steer them towards a Saturday, because that's usually the, the busier day of the week. And, um, 
trying to hope that I have some diversity. You know, maybe they get to see a nipple piercing, a genital piercing, a, a fancy cartilage piercing, whatever, and not just like a bunch of the same stuff over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on those days, it's great. And they can be really good conversation starters, but then there are those other times where it's like I'm doing almost nothing and I just feel it just eats me up. Like the anxiety just eats me up. Mm-hmm. And I try to have this pressure of like, oh, what am I going to do to make it worth their time? Like, what do you want to cover? What do you want to talk about? Like, keys to the store. Like, we'll go over anything you want to go over. Mm-hmm. And those days are my least favorite shadow days. Like, I would much prefer it to just be a slam day, just watch me do a bunch of stuff and ask any questions, but. Uh, I feel very self-conscious when people come in and shadow and it's not an awesome day. Mm-hmm. But, like you had just mentioned, on those days where it is a little bit more quiet, they are getting a lot more one-on-one time with you mm-hmm. that if you were super slammed, they wouldn't have had the opportunity of, right? right? So really, it's... Both are good things. Both are great things to be able to pick your mind in person instead of on the internet mm-hmm. or otherwise. Um, just as much as it is to be able to see you apply those techniques that you're discussing in, in you know, your piercing room. So I think it's more so based on both your perception, but also the person shadowing you and what they're expecting out of that day. Mm-hmm. So I know you had said that you didn't want to nece- necessarily have a canned shadowing experience, but having that list, like that short list of one or two things you like to work on isn't a bad thing to have on hand sure. in case things do get a little bit more yeah. stagnant because things aren't quite quite as busy as what you're expecting that day. Mm-hmm. Did you get to see me screw anything up? No, I don't think I did. Okay, well, lucky me. I have had people come in and shadow where I, I think I'm I'm outside of the part of my career where I just flat out botch things where it's like it's just small little imperfections but I really like it when those little scenarios happen when someone's shadowing. Because it's like, uh, I lost transfer, now you get to see me recover that transfer. Or like, hey, I, I picked the wrong size, and this is how I resolve that, or whatever. Those scenarios can be really good. Uh, sometimes when it's like one of those magic days where you can do no wrong, and it's like everything comes out great. It's like, I, I feel like that's almost a little unrealistic, because those days are kind of that's not the everyday, you know, it's mm-hmm. like sometimes there's going to be a, a little bit of variation from perfection here and there. And it's like, it's, it's almost good to see those kinds of scenarios as to like how you overcome that and still give the person an excellent experience. Well, yeah, it's that gentle reminder that you're human. Mm-hmm. Which I don't like to admit a lot. So, yeah. but it's true though, because we all put our best work on the internet mm-hmm. and that piercer that is sitting at home looking on your Instagram websites, things like that, in their mind, oh, they can't do any wrong. They're perfect. And it can set the bar of expectation for themselves sometimes a little bit too high and unattainable. Absolutely. So even though you don't like to be perceived as human, I think it's absolutely important Mm -hmm. for someone to be able to see those little hiccups like you said. Because then it's that, oh, good, it's not just me. Mm Yeah, yeah. And I, I've definitely appreciated it when I've been in someone else's sphere and I've gotten to see them do something that they wouldn't consider perfect and how they overcame it, you know? Mm-hmm. Those kind of things. Number one, it, it gives me the, it, it shows me the skill of like how they resolved it, but also it, it makes me feel 
little bit more normal and it's like okay this person can also struggle with this thing that I struggle with which mm -hmm. is great so it's like I can feel almost it almost makes me feel elevated where it's just like oh okay I my I have the same kind of flaws that they have and it's mm -hmm. like I, they're really good so maybe that means I'm not terrible yeah mm -hmm. uh, I can't really think of anything else to talk about on the subject can you think of anything else to talk about on the subject what was it like the first time you had someone come and shadow you? Because I've yet to like I've had I've had a little bit of watching here and there. I will admit that I am I'm actually very very shy. I'm actually usually pretty quiet. Conference and stick to. <laughs> And I'm someone that definitely suffers from imposter syndrome. I think most mm. of us do. Oh, I and do. it can make it very hard for me to let someone in the room for extended periods of time without like seeing that handshake or, or dropping, you know, like a prong set end or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, so what was your experience like? Because I know mine <laughs> wasn't always that great. I, I have a comically bad memory so like I know that I've had a couple dozen piercers come into shadow at this mm -hmm. point but I can't for the life of me remember even when I started having people into shadow or who was like some of the first or, or whatever but um, it doesn't really matter because every person that comes in I'm terrified mm -hmm. it's like I, I feel like a fraud the whole time and it, it basically I'm just trying to like um, did you ever see the movie Labyrinth? Okay, you know the bog of eternal stench? Yes. So, where they're like hopping across the stones, they don't want to step in any of the, the, the bog or whatever. That's what I feel like my day is like. And it's like, I'm just trying to like skip over these stones perfectly and not screw anything up and yeah. maintain the illusion of like, Ryan knows what he's doing. And um, anytime like a piercer comes in, like I really don't like to ever talk down to anyone or even have the sense that I, even that my experience level would be higher than someone or whatever because uh, I've been where all those piercers have been or are at where it's like I, I feel like I'll never be good enough, I'll never be as good as the people that I look up to as being good. And if, if somebody comes into shadow, um, they put themselves out there, whether they're an experienced piercer or not. Uh, I want to just basically commend them for taking the plunge and going out and shadowing, you know, so I'll give them whatever, whatever information and if something doesn't come out right, I'm not going to stop in the middle of a piercing and being like, oh, you see how this is like a half a millimeter off and oh, it's because my hand moved this way. I'll, I'll wait till the client is gone. Oh, absolutely. But then I'll talk to them and I'll be like, just so you know, like, did you notice my hand twitching? twitching or shaking or did you notice I had trouble putting that end piece on or did you notice that I maybe accidentally cross-contaminated when I redarkened a mark or something like that like I'll point those things out and just be like these are the these are the things that even me an experienced person these are the things I'm working on mm -hmm. you know like don't ever get in a mindset where you think that it's not work and that you're not trying to constantly develop and try to constantly develop. that is the loudest coffee grinder I have ever heard, or foamer, or whatever that machine is. It's like a screaming animal that they're slaughtering in a coffee shop. Dolphin murder. Um, it's always terrifying. 
it's always ter- it, it's an it's an honor and like I don't yeah. mean to be cliche but it's an honor just to be asked someone would think that like I have information to share that could benefit them like that's an honor to me mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time it's a lot of pressure because I never feel when I teach classes when I write articles when I go to conferences I always have imposter syndrome of like why me like there are a number of other people that are just as qualified or more qualified so why me uh, and it always makes me feel terrified mm-hmm. so. which is actually really really comforting to hear yeah well look at even my first interview with you mm-hmm. when I got my scholarship are like, you one of those people that's like oh I have to talk to Ryan well so it was twofold for me one I was very very nervous because it was my second time applying for the scholarship um, talking to piercers, I do respect, uh, respect a great deal. But at that point, I was also traveling between two different c- uh, cities, piercing between each one. And I had actually gotten my dates mixed up. So when he messaged me to say, are you ready? I was like, oh crap, that's today. Mm-hmm. So that actually added to my stresses. Yeah. And when you and I were speaking, you had stated I was the most nervous person you had ex- uh, interviewed for that round. Mm-hmm. I get that a lot with um, with the interviews, and I I get that it, there's a lot of pressure in a scenario like that of like I really want to get to conference. This is a way to get there. I'm really nervous. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to someone that has experience or teaches classes or is a member or whatever it is, you know. Um, but in those scenarios, like it, it doesn't matter how nervous someone is or anything. Like like we're really just we're trying to get to the the root of it. Like mm-hmm. who needs it who's deserving of it, mm-hmm. and all those other factors are insignificant, like how, air quotes, good of a piercer someone is, what jewelry they're using, all those things, like, that can give us background information, but we want to get to the heart of, like, who the person is, and what their struggle is, and their passion for it, and all that stuff, so even in scenarios like that, it's like, we know when it's the right person or not the right person, you know, mm-hmm. you were the right person. Thank you. So anything else you can think of? Progression, growth, where do you want to see Pearson go in 2020? Like, is there anything bubbling on the back burner that you would like to see moved forward by the end of the year? Something at conference, something with jewelry mm. companies, something with social media or learning space or anything? Well, aside from the, the talk training, I guess, we were discussing previously for um, the alternative to the bar. Um, just trying to think. I guess I'd like to see a lot more piercers reach out to one another. Because mm-hmm. again, I find that we follow each other, we add each other on Facebook, things like that, but we never really talk to each other. Yeah. You know, like we all stick to the same comfortable groups or or otherwise and instead of not instead of just picking the same piercers over and over and over again to shadow no offense because you are it's actually really nice to watch you work but there are so many other skilled piercers out there who don't have the same visibility 
yes, visibility is definitely the best word to use here that don't have the same level of visibility as others in this industry. There are so many brilliant piercers. Like, when I walk into conference, I'm not just nervous to see certain more recognizable piercers, but it's the, it's everybody else. I walk in and I see so many brilliant, skilled individuals in one space. Mm -hmm. And it's insanely intimidating, and I think it's important. I totally get what you mean in a scenario like that, and I, I feel like it's almost a good idea for people to um, uh, create, like, not pen pals, but like buddy up with people. Don't just comment on the same threads in a Facebook group. Like, if you like what somebody's saying or you like their social media stuff, send them a message and be mm -hmm. like, hey, I like your work. I really like this post. Let's have a conversation about piercing. Let's become friendly or, or you know, have some sort of rapport build up mm -hmm. or something like that. I think people are um, they're talking to the whole industry at the same time. They're not yeah. talking to another piercer. Like, they're, they're, they're swimming in the ocean mm -hmm. and they're not talking to a fish. My, my analogies are really bad, but uh, <laughs> I kind of get what you mean. Where they're not—they're not engaging on a one-on-one -on -one level. Yep. They're engaging on like a group level, and I don't really think that's going to push a well, lot of people forward. Look at the mentor program for a conference. Sure. That is really great for new attendees, and some of those those relationships do carry through. And it's not just like for a month or two after conference; it's all year round. It'd be nice to see a little bit more of. Again, just a different way to connect different piercers because there may be someone out there who can't do what I do, which is click the button and then walk away. Sure. <laughs> you know, like they, they can't bring themselves to click that button in the first place. Yeah. So there's, there's got to be another way to reach them in a manner that isn't intimidating, mm -hmm. isn't going to trigger that uh, imposter syndrome or anything like that, right? So Something like the mentor program, but carried through into a non-conference space. Mm -hmm. Something like having, I don't even know how to really think of it, like I have a lot of half-formed ideas, but something mm -hmm. where it's like a mentor program that's kind of set up online initially, but then creates like an in-person thing, you know, saying, these are piercers around the U.S., around Canada, that are open to mentoring, shadowing, mm -hmm. hosting. And then you can start to link them up with people that are maybe an hour or two away mm -hmm. that can go there, can go here, go there, and get people talking. Because just like you said at conference with the mentor program, somebody might go into it first day being like, I don't know anybody, I don't know what I'm doing, why am I here? And then five minutes into it, they're like, oh yeah, I met this piercer with eight years experience and they're super nice. We went mm -hmm. out for tacos and he introduced me to this person. She introduced me to her boss or whatever or, or you know got me talking to this vendor or whatever. And then those barriers are immediately destroyed. Exactly. And the whole rest of the week they can just talk to people face to face and build that confidence. There needs to be something like that for the people who can't make it to conference and get in that program. Mm -hmm. You know? There needs to be more Or it would allow them to because one thing that you need to um, to be able to apply for the LD scholarship, you need references. Mm -hmm. And how do you get references if you don't have so, relationships? Uh, allowing people the opportunity to build up those relationships means they now have people to give them like letters of reference to be able to apply for some of the scholarships. Yeah. So there's doors. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, because um, 
you know, even if I don't know somebody well, if, as long as I know them enough that it's like, okay, I know that you care, and that, you know, maybe you're not where you want to be yet, but I know you care, uh, I'm going to try to open as many doors as I can for mm -hmm. you. Like, oh, have you talked to this person yet? Have you gone here? Hey, let me message this person and put you two together, or whatever. Uh, a lot of that stuff can be career-changing and life-changing to people. Oh, absolutely, especially if you've only worked with externally threaded jewelry, and you were working your ass off to get to where you want to be. So you're fine-tuning the things you have control over. Mm -hmm. Your placement, your angles, things like that, but you don't have the experience uh, working with quality jewelry. It can be really hard to open those doors for yourself, yeah. like speaking from experience. It can be insanely, insanely hard to open those doors for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Because again, it's those, it's those huge gaps between absolutely. the steps. Uh, and it's, it's tough to, to climb your way up. I agree. So something that would give more people just more. Yeah. More access. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe that's something we can work on during 2020. Mm -hmm. And next year, everything will be better. This will never happen again. Everybody will have all the access they want. And everybody will be amazing. <laughs> uh, all right. I feel like it's filling up in here. Yeah. Do you want to wrap it up? Sure. All right. So again... Uh, give all your, your info, shop info, where do people find you online, all that stuff. Okay. Uh, so once again, my name is Alicia and I work at Cottage 13, which is located in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And my Instagram name is Alicia Low one Okay. Right. Thanks for talking to me. And a happy new year. Happy new year. All right, thanks for sticking with me. I know it was a longer episode, but I thought it was a really fun one. So thanks for coming on, Alicia. I definitely appreciate it, and I'll catch you down the road for sure. Uh, next week is going to be a special episode. It's going to be guest host Kellen Smith from The Powers That Be interviewing his friend Clay Wanstroth. That's been uh, kind of just sitting on my desk for a while. They recorded that a few weeks ago, but I've been uh, polishing it up, making sure that it's ready to go for the beginning of 2020. But, you know, it's a really special one, so definitely tune in for it. It's a great conversation. They both have great energy, and it's really just nice to listen to people who still have so much passion for what they do. Uh, I have to say a few thank yous for new followers on Patreon. I've got Noel Burjos. I apologize if I massacre your name. Uh, I've got Johnny Velez, not uh, that Johnny Velez, uh, Nee Velez, N-N-Y Velez that you might see on Facebook. Uh, so thanks, Johnny. I appreciate your support. And Michelle Smale, uh, all signed up to Patreon recently. And if you follow me on Patreon, support me on Patreon, uh, just so you know, you get access to some ridiculous bonus episodes. Um, I did the Wrestling Wizard podcast with some friends on a trip once, and uh, just completely out of the blue, I got an email from Jeff Saunders with the Beer Sing Wizard podcast, and that's Jeff Saunders, Kale DeFrancesco, formerly Belford, and Aaron Pollock, all just like drinking some beer and just talking about like random ridiculous stuff. So uh, that's going to be an exclusive one for Patreon only. So you can go to patreon.com slash RyanPBA. You can support the show on there for as little as $2. Uh, and I, I really appreciate all the support. I have a whole bunch of ridiculous ideas for 2020. Some of it's like 
physical items. Uh, some of it is classes and trips and projects and all that kind of stuff. So uh, prepare yourself for all kind of uh, wizardry in 2020. I gotta like keep myself out there with some fresh and interesting stuff, keep everybody interested, I suppose. Uh, if you're interested in my classes, don't forget I've got Monday, January 20th in Phoenix, Arizona, and Monday, February 24th in Concord, California. That's out in the Bay Area at Blue Star. Both of those are going to be my advanced application of Bevel Theory new class for 2020. So any questions, uh, you want to get signed up for that or you just want some info, go ahead and email me at ryanpba at gmail.com. And uh, we'll be back next week with that special episode. Thanks for listening. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved.